Before we begin, I'd just like to remind you that this episode is also available as a video. So if you'd like to check out myself and Andy in all our uh, glory, then head over to youtube.com forward slash at Pottywood. For now, though, enjoy the episode. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Pottywood, the podcast where we talk about movies and all kinds of movie related stuff. I am one of your co-hosts, Steve Hester, and joining me as always is... Well, that'll be me, Andrew Roger Carson. Shorter hair this week, same glasses, mm. full of Northern Pride and Eastern Promises. Ooh, and speaking of Eastern Promises, it's time to delve into what's in the box from last week. A movie from... 2007? Of course it was. Yes. Off goes the 2007 alarm. Yes, I've not seen uh, that pop up on screen for a few weeks. I know, it's ridiculous, isn't it? it but is. yes, 2007, the, the year that I forgot. Um, and this is a, uh, a David Cronenberg film yes. about a, uh, a Russian mafia family and how their sins end up catching back up with them. Now, I am going to be going into spoilers with this. So if you don't want to know the ins and outs of the plot, then just head to the timestamp below. Or go to this time here. And then you can get our final thoughts on the whole movie. Uh, but for now, let's get into it. So if you're listening to this, then you don't care about spoilers. So yeah. Viggo Mortensen plays a man called Nikolai, who is the... Uh, the, the, no? the token Russian name. We, we need a Russian name in the script. Nikolai. <laughs> there we go. Nikolai. Uji Nikobolikov. Um <laughs> It's a classic playground one, that, though, isn't it? Yes. Um, and uh, he plays a driver for this uh, Russian mob family. And uh, the 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 patriarch, uh, Hermin Mueller-Stahl, is that, is that his name? It's Armin. It's Armin, Armin. Mueller-Stahl. Yes. And his son, uh, Kir- now, it's either Kirill or Cyril. Because it gets pronounced in two different ways in the film. Um, I just know him as Gino Bolognese. <laughs> I know. Yes. Vincent Cassell. The wonderful <laughs> Vincent Cassell. Um, who me and Andy both know as <laughs> Gino Bolognese from the uh, bottom movie. Guess House Paradiso. <laughs> I told you I was going in. I know. <laughs> Oh, I love that film. It's so terrible, but it's wonderful. That's Vincent um, Cassell, for God's sake. I know. I know. It's the guy that was in, uh, what is it, Irreversible? Was uh, it was Irreversible? Must be. I know he was in, like, Ocean's, the Ocean's Eleven movies. And, yes. And uh, he's done a, a ton of foreign cinema. Yeah, married married to the he was married to the goddess that is uh, Monica Bellucci. Yes. Um, but anyway, uh, he plays uh, Kirill or Cyril, uh, the the mob boss's son, and uh, then into this world comes a, uh, a doctor, Anna, who treats a a woman who is admitted to the hospital with severe bleeding, who dies on the operating table, but gives birth to a daughter. And then it's her job to try and track down who the father is of this little baby girl. And in doing so, she uncovers this horrible family secret that this Russian mob has been trying to keep covered. Um, And it's a David Cronenberg film. When we went over this last week, David Cronenberg is known mostly for his body horror things like, you know, Videodrome and uh, Scanners and um, The Fly. All things where people just look icky and horrible and you kind of want to have a wash. And as I'm recording this, I said The Fly and there is a fly crawling across my screen. (laughs) Jeff, you're back. Um so so yeah this is this is weird coming from him because it doesn't feel like a david cronenberg film 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, he does do these movies yeah. separate from the body horror that are exceptionally good. And, and this one follows on from A History of Violence, also starring Viggo Mortensen, which mm -hmm. was based on a comic book, actually. Yeah, and I think I said it before in one of our earlier episodes, it was the last uh, mainstream Hollywood movie to be released on VHS. Very true. Yeah, for your five fans. Um, but this one, it's set in Britain, which was a surprise to me. I wasn't expecting that. It was David Cronenberg's um, first ever time filming outside of Canada. Oh, is that righty? Yeah. It, there are some times watching this where it, it doesn't feel like... I know it, he doesn't really do kind of Hollywood movies, but it, it doesn't even feel like an American slash North American movie. It felt like a British film. Yes. With all the the, the low-key trappings that a British film has. Lots of rain, very, very uh, stalwart workhorse actors that come in and know their craft, um, that, that give very, very measured performances. But it kind of felt at times like it wasn't really... It, it, would, it felt like it was kind of missing an edge to it at parts. Part of it felt a bit ponderous and I was kind of waiting for things to to build and they they do towards the end. Um but even then it feels like you you're waiting quite a while to get there. Everything that happens in the the bathhouse where you see um Andoril, the flame of the west. The tattoo. Well and truly on display. Yes. Uh, I was gonna ask I you was, about that if you noticed it. I was actually talking about uh, the the sword, which was uh, reforged from the shards of Narsil. Not the pork sword that was prominently no. on display in that scene. Uh, but yes, on his on his arm, on his left arm, um, or right, I don't know. Depends on where you're watching this. He's got a little tiny tattoo, which all the members of the Fellowship uh, had. So that's the the four hobbits: um, Orlando Bloom, Viggo Mortensen, Ian McKellen. And not John Reese davis He didn't get a tattoo. He sent his stuntman to get the tattoo on his behalf. Never uh, but they all have. No. No, you're never in Katwarf. No. Um, and it says the nine. And I noticed it. And I noticed it because I was looking for it because I knew that this was released <laughs> after Lord of the Rings. The, the question I'm going to ask you now, Steve, is did you know where that tattoo was or were you taking a really good hard look all over Vigo during that scene? <laughs> Well, it he gets he gets his shirt off in a number of scenes. Um, I it, there's there's one scene where he's at a brothel, and uh, I didn't see it then. But then there's another scene where he's getting inked uh, because during the, in in the Russian mob culture, the tattoos that you have, according to the film, tell the story of your life. They say, you know what gangs you're a member of uh whether you committed certain crimes whether you're in this prison or that prison and so on so he has these tattoos all over his body um so i was i was looking for it and uh yeah then lo and behold there's a scene where he's like in front of the major russian mob bosses and he's he's got his shirt off he's just there in his underpants and you can see it on his arm and then of course there's the fight in the bathhouse where he's hanging brain and uh, whacking it all over the place. Which, I've got to say, has, and if this is a real practical effect, my hat is off to the people that did this, one of the most explicit um, eye stabs oh, yeah. that I have ever seen. And it's done, I, I can't tell if it was actually done digitally, or if it was done with a with a, a prop knife, maybe, but it... it it's flawless. It is. The knife changes hand to hand to hand and then they're fighting on the floor and a guy gets stabbed in the eye and there's loads of blood which comes out. But the way that it's done, like you say, it's absolutely flawless. Yeah. Superb. I've got to admit, that was a wince-inducing moment when I watched it again this week as well. I was like, oh. Oh, definitely. I, yeah. I kind of forgot that. You kind of uh, forgot to mention here uh, the nurse is played by Naomi Watts. Pulling yes. off an amazing British accent. Oh yes, yeah. she it very very she falls into that role. Absolutely. It, she she sounds incredibly believable as a Britisher. 
<laughs> to the point where I didn't even question her accent at all throughout the whole thing. And I don't really know Naomi Watts that much. Well, she was actually would... born in England, but then moved to Australia very, very young. So she is not a naturally born English person, raised in Australia. Oh, right. I will hush my mouth. I know. I found that out on Podiblog, which you can go to podiblog.com and read the... Uh... .glom. .glom. It's my Russian coming out. Not. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Podiblog.com. And there is a section there on f- called Foot in the Door Rolls. And we covered Naomi Watt's first ever role, uh, which was in an Australian movie. And uh, you can check that out. So, yeah. And uh, the story comes to a head. And like I said, spoilers, it turns out that uh, Nikolai has been working for the FSB, which is the Russian... Uh, Secret Service, would you say? Yeah. They're equivalent of the CIA or the Secret Police, one of the two, and he's trying to infiltrate the Russian Mafia in the UK. And the big question is, the way that it all ends, is he actually going to be carrying out his thing of wanting to take down the Mafia from the inside? Or, as it appears... Is he now going to be solidifying his position as the new leader of this particular arm of the family? It is left for interpretation. It is left incredibly open uh, because I feel like the movie ends out of nowhere at Mm. one point. It's building up to a thing and you're thinking that you're going to see Armin Mueller-Stahl get his end or something like that. And it doesn't happen. No, the closest that you get to that is a more of an emotional confrontation between him and Vincent Cassell when the latter is trying to kill the baby, which is the, the root cause of all the strife by drowning her in the Thames. Yes. Um, you, you do expect there to be this, this butting heads between the two, but like you say, it never happens. No. Well, as we mentioned, with David Cronenberg, he doesn't do things by your typical narrative structure. It's like David Lynch in that way. But when you look mm. at Cronenberg's stuff, like The Fly that we mentioned, hope the flies escaped now, I was not drowned in your drink. Uh, but also you look at films like Dead Ringers, Existence, Crash, all of these oh, movies. Speaking of which, just to briefly derail you, Dead Ringers has now got a TV series. Oh, don't. Starring Rachel Weisz as, uh, in the Jeremy Irons roles. So I noticed it today. I just thought I'd bring that up. Yeah, you there's it up. too so much stuff being made into TV series now of stuff that should just be left well alone. Um, Dead Ringers is one of them because it is an amazing movie. Uh, so naturally, I did a bit of uh, listening on some audio commentaries, did a bit of behind-the-scenes research. And this has a link to two other occasions we have spoken about on this show in the past. Now, remember Ooh. way back when we talked about Billy Zane going to buy comics in his full Phantom costume, and then you mentioned about Viggo Mortensen, was it going to a pub in his Lord of the Rings gear or something along the lines? Uh, I, I think he'd gone to a gym or a restaurant or something, yes. and it would just come out full Lord of the Rings gear, swinging the sword, practicing his moves, and the police called. Yes. Well, during the filming of this movie... Viggo Morton decided to go to a bar in full costume with full tattoos and a lot. And uh, he was uh, listening to two Russian men who were talking and kind of just honing in on their mannerisms. And these two Russian men saw Viggo, noticed the tattoos that he had on his hands and genuinely believed he was a member of that Russian mafia. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Easily done, because, you know, he looks the part. He looks properly intimidating. Oh, yeah. He's wearing all these very nicely tailored suits and just looks very, very straight, flat, not expending much in terms of energy. Just Well, to be honest, I mean, Vigo's research into this character was completely faultless. I mean, he did extensive character research, including learning both Russian and Ukrainian languages uh, that he used in the movie. So when he's talking to the prostitute in that scene, he switches from Russian to Ukrainian. And as English-speaking people, we don't notice it, but he does do it. So he learned both of them, and he travelled all over Russia and Ukraine and everything and did extensive research for his character. That's how much of a workhorse that guy is. And it pays off. 
you know, um, the nude bath scene, as we've already mentioned here, which I think everyone remembers from this movie when you kind of bring it up. Uh, that was yeah. actually Vigo's suggestion that he do it naked. So I, I think he had something to prove on that day and to make it more realistic. And, you know, he, he went fully for it. Uh, apparently, the inspiration for his character and mannerisms and everything was based on who else? Vladimir Putin. Yay. Because that's uh, exactly who you want to be. <laughs> uh, I did notice some other fantastic little things in here. One that actually jumped out at me when I was watching the movie, and I never noticed it before. So there is the scene where uh, Gino Bolognese is showing off. <laughs> he's, he's showing off all of this alcohol that he's got in the back of the truck. Written on the side of the truck is Arthur Clegg. Now, if you know okay. the story of Arthur Clegg, he was a real man who was suspected of murdering his newborn granddaughter and possible daughter by incest by throwing her into the Thames. So that was a curious little nod to history. Oh. Just tattooed on the side of the truck. Uh, did you notice something incredibly curious for a mafia police crime movie? Uh, there's a wimpy. There is a wimpy. <laughs> oh, my God. For, for those of you who don't know, in the UK, particularly back in the <laughs> 70s and 80s, there was a fast, fast food, in very inverted commas, Jane called Wimpy. And it only seems to exist in very, very select places now. And it's a point of ridicule. And yeah, he's there. I'm just It's like they're doing a hostage exchange in the cheapest, shittiest kind of fast food restaurant. You can if, you, if you're going to do it, do it to Wimpy. Because you can't really sink any lower, can you? Uh, no. no. Uh, my point was being, did you notice there is not one gun in this movie? Yeah. Yes, it did. It's all knives, which apparently is incredibly authentic. Yeah, well, that makes that makes more sense if you if you if you like you're caught and you've got a gun, then you're like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I I use it to go hunting. But if you've got a knife, you can say that oh yeah yeah uh, uh, no no I I I work I for my fish. granddad's butchers yeah exactly yeah I good fish or... that is exactly what they would do which is why that is very authentic, apparently. Focus Features, who did the movie, uh, scrapped the plans for the intended sequel to this. So there was supposed to be a follow-on. And apparently when David Cronenberg uh, was asked about it at uh, some kind of convention or some kind of interview, he'd be like, oh, you'll have to ask the people at Focus because they killed it. Nah. So we'll never get to know. Um well, this film, I mean, it was very, very well received. Uh, the sound is great. Uh, the production design is flawless by Carol Spire, I will say. Very tightly edited movie as well by Ronald Sanders. Sorry, I, I thought you were going to add something there because you were nodding. Your no, 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 I wasn't. Um, I, I was going to say, if you're going to be reeling off, off people, there's one name which I did recognize, which was Stephen Knight. Oh, okay. Yes, um, who wrote who wrote this movie and yes. is also responsible for Peaky Blinders. Yes. Yeah, very yes. true. Your cinematography is great. Uh, Peter Sushitsky, I believe was his name. Uh, music by Howard Shaw, which is great. And if you're going to go into your roles, you've got to say Viggo Mortensen, Naomi Watts, Armin Mueller-Shaw, they all own it. And Gino Bolognese himself, Vincent yes. Cassell. I can't help the fact that his name is Gino Bolognese. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. That I, I, oh, I, I still envision him in that role. Kate's across the room laughing as well, just because I've said it. But, oh, my God. Gino. Keep the swearing down. We're trying to keep this PG. <laughs> oh. So, uh,. Eastern Promises. Recommend? Uh, recommend, yes. Worthy of it being certified fresh. Uh, it's it's a slow film, and I don't really think it needs to be this slow. Um, there's a number of times where I think there would need to be something else, some kind of a, a bit more energy injected into it. Not necessarily action, but more energy. 
Um, and if it had that, then yes, I'd definitely give it a, a definite certified fresh. Um, but in as it stands, yeah, give it a watch. It's um, it, it you you at least get to see what uh, what what the the king was returning with, basically. All those Canadians are going to be so mad with you, eh? Well, I'm sorry about that, eh? Anyway, it is around that time that we delve into some anniversaries. We watch them again all of the time Or we get them on Prime for free But we only know how old they are When we learn their anniversary Oh, yes. Anniversaries. Here we go again. Three more movies dug from history to find out if Steve has seen them or not and find out a little bit of trivia around them. So, Steve, mm -hmm. just go back to our youth. Let's go back 40 years. Oh, back when I was three. I know. 40 years ago this week, the Chuck Norris movie Lone Wolf McQuaid was released. Uh, I'm going to say, no, I haven't seen that, but mainly because I've not seen any Chuck Norris movies. <gasps> yeah, I've seen be... movies in which Chuck Norris has appeared, like Dodgeball, but not Chuck Norris movies. So you might be the reverse Chuck <laughs> Norris fact. Steve Hester has got through life Possibly. without seeing one Chuck Norris movie. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't miss much, to be honest. Uh, Long Wolf McQuaid uh, was directed by Steve Carver, uh, another director we lost just recently, I believe, uh, he directed Chuck Norris in An Eye for an Eye, also starring Christopher Lee. Yes, Sauron himself. Uh, also directed movies called The Wolves uh, and Steel. No, not Shaq Steel, but another movie called Steel. You can put the poster up right there. Pow. There you go. Hit the microphone, too. Uh, Long Wolf McQuaid is basically, uh, well... It's Chuck Norris. He's a lawman. He's out in the desert. And he's facing off his, against his typical 80s rent-a-villain in David Carradine. Yes, Kung Fu's David Carradine. Death Race 2000's mm. David Carradine. That guy who likes to hang in his wardrobe, David Carradine. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, I'm, I'm just really glad that when he took the part, he didn't choke. <laughs> If any episode we're getting sued on, it's this one. Uh, the Caradine estate is going to get us. Yeah, he knew, he knew when to open his mouth and when to belt up. Yeah, <laughs> Bill will love this episode. Keep it in. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, so naturally, the, the end of your movie is going to have a huge uh, fight between Chuck Norris and David Carradine. Uh, they used mm -hmm. no stunt doubles for that end fight. Uh, they actually okay, did. That makes sense. They actually did fight each other, and apparently Chuck Norris was very critical of David Carradine's martial arts skills, saying that he's as good a martial artist as I am an actor. Oh, 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 oh! That's a self burn. That's rare. Oh, that is. That is. Um, amazingly, David Carradine had a clause in his contract for this film and apparently other movies as well that he could not be killed on screen in hand-to-hand -hand combat <laughs> okay so that was some pure macho stuff by the day so how do you kill him in this like this that's right with a grenade <laughs> that's how you kill not a hand grenade like in death race 2000 but a grenade you uh, like giving me work to do with these cutaways, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have to yeah. because it adds to the comedy. Um, this was, as I was remember it, it was shot in a very Sergio Leone style. And I think Steve Carver was a fan of Sergio Leone because this movie really does feel like a mix of Sergio Leone and Sam Peckinpah style from the 70s, right. transferred over to the 80s. Uh a funny story about this, obviously, we all know that Chuck Norris went on to become Walker, Texas Ranger, Eyes of a Ranger, Unsuspected Stranger, Danger, whatever. Uh, the producers of... <laughs> what, the, what the hell are you talking about? 
Here's a music cue so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Walking Texas Ranger was a series that Chuck Norris was in. You must know that. Yes. I just don't know what the theme tune is. Okay. Well, the producers of this movie, then working for Orion at the time, ended up in the 1990s suing uh, the makers of Walker, Texas Ranger for basically what they feel was completely lifting the character and everything from this movie. And it's not. It's nothing like it. Orion actually had to apologise to the makers of Walker, Texas Ranger for the producers actually uh, going to court on them. Okay, slight detour, but keeping in with the whole Lord of the Rings thing from earlier. Um, there is a story going around at the moment that uh, Jeff Bezos, Amazon, and the Tolkien estate is being sued for about $250 million by a guy who wrote fan fiction about Lord of the Rings in the in the like 2000s to the 2010s and he's now claiming that the the plot of the rings of power tv series is infringing on his books so where well, there's a will there's a there's a payday i guess I guess, or not in that case i don't know um this has its own drinking game this movie mm. by the amount of times ranger is said in this movie you take a shot every time, I guarantee you will not make it past 15 minutes. And there's another interesting little thing that I actually had to Google after watching it again this week. Because I spotted something when they're doing a panoramic shot of El Paso. Been there? Yeah. Well, when you see this panoramic shot of El Paso in this clip that you are going to put up, uh, you will notice that there is a very small traffic accident that happens in the background between a blue car and a white truck. So this might be one of those instances where, you know, someone has actually had a real-life collision and it's been caught while a movie is being made. Red car and a blue car had a race. Yes. Uh, The love interest on this movie was Barbara Carrera, who you may have known of being in two movies that year. This... And the James Bond movie, Never Say Never Again. Though not an official Bond movie, that would just be ridiculous. No, no, this was the... Uh, yes, um, I have seen Never Say Never Again. I'll be damned if I can remember what she looks like, though. Was it like the James Bond movie with Mr Bean in it? Yes, it was his first role. It was a remake of Thunderball because yes. the the rights holders basically had an option for that particular story, which was then split between Eon Productions and this lot. So they just were able to go off and do their own thing. Whereas Thunderball is a brilliant movie. Never Say Never is not a brilliant movie. Yeah, but it also features James Bond jumping off a tower on a horse. Well, if you want to talk about jumping off, let's talk about Barbara Carrera here. Because every time I hear that name, I remember a sex scene she did with Michael Paré in a movie called Spanish Rose, also known as Point of Impact, which is so <laughs> ludicrous, so ludicrous, that you've just got to include it right here. Oh, stop giving me work! <laughs> You'll thank me. You'll thank me later. Um, this oh, we're does... going to get demonetized. I know. This does hold a record, and a very obscure record. Do tell. Chuck Norris performed the highest reported filmed kick jumping from a crouching position in this movie. Okay, that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah. And you can see it in this clip right here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm no sorry. more clips. No more clips, even though we've got two more anniversaries to go. But yeah, for, 40 years ago this week, Lone Wolf McQuaid, and I thought that was kind of an interesting one to throw out there. Oh, I hate you so much. What's the next one? Okay, well, we're going to go back 10 years. Okay. Now, 10 years ago this week, Steve, a movie called Oblivion was released. Oh, that was the Tom Cruise one. Right. Um, I have a problem with Tom Cruise in so far as I'm not a big fan, and he keeps doing sci-fi, and more to the point, he keeps doing sci-fi that I probably would like, but I don't actually want to watch the sci-fi because I don't like watching him. So therefore, I've not seen Oblivion. I've not seen Edge of Tomorrow oh. because I don't want to watch him. 
Does that mean you've not seen War of the Worlds or Minority Report either? I did see Minority Report. Um, I, I just remember like Carrie Mulligan in, in in a tank somewhere. That's that's it. Um, that, that wasn't and... Carrie Mulligan. Who was it then? It was uh... oh. shit. Could have sworn that was Carrie Mulligan. No, it's not Carrie Mulligan. It's oh my god, what's her name? Anyway, you'll be able to find out the actress's name because it's right here. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, right, so no, you no, haven't watched I, Oblivion. I, I haven't watched Oblivion, no. Okay. I know the twist, but no. This is the movie that kind of gets forgotten about in Joseph Kaczynski's resume. Because obviously now with Top Gun Maverick, you know, he is, you know, one of the most prolific directors. He saved cinema along with Tom Cruise. But he also directed Only the Brave, which was the uh, Forest Fire movie that was actually pretty good. And of course, Tron Legacy. And I'm mm. a huge Tron Legacy fan. I thought it was perhaps a, a great follow up to Tron. Looks fantastic in 3D. Yes. Well, so. if you can track down a 3D TV, it's well worth watching on that. And the soundtrack is superb and it's yes. made even better with the reconfigured version where all the tracks are remixed. It's, oh, yeah. It is. Chef's kiss. It is. <laughs> Chef's kiss. It is amazing. Yeah. Uh, on the set of Oblivion, Tom Cruise turned 50 years old. Really? Yes. And looks... Did the thick stone 21. in his palm start beeping? <laughs> apparently so. Well, apparently so, because he was also divorcing Katie Holmes right around this time as well during the making of this movie. Uh, this script for this movie was one of the most heavily auctioned scripts in Hollywood at the time. Every studio was bidding on it. And originally, Disney did get a hold of it for a very short time until they realized they could not make a PG-13 version of the movie. So Universal ended up scooping it up and running with it. Uh, this film also starred... Uh, Olga Kurienko, I think I've got that name right. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, also starred Andrea Riseborough, and apparently she was not a fan of her time on this movie. I don't think she enjoyed this. I think she actually rates this as one of the worst experiences she's had of making a film, and it's probably due to all of the blue screen and stuff like that. Any other reason mm -hmm. it could be, we're not sure. We're not going to speculate. No. Uh, does Tom Cruise just love playing a character called Jack? Ah, uh, well, he was uh, he was Jack Reacher twice. Um, yeah. Um, I, where, where else was he called Jack? Legend, uh, and of course, in this, he plays the Jack as well. Uh, what you may not know about this, Steve, and I know you know about your comic books. This was actually based on an unpublished comic book. Oh, yes. Written by Joseph Kaczynski. So before he got into movies, he was actually a comic book artist and actually created uh, the comic of it, but it went unpublished. So this, oh, right. this was a major project for him in getting it done. Now, the movie was released around this time, but one city did not show it Ooh, when um, it opened. Do you know which one? I don't. Um... But I'm guessing it's wherever the movie was set because they oh. didn't want to upset the people. No? Okay. Okay. Uh, it actually had a late premiere. It was not released on the weekend that it should be. The main reason it was not released in Boston was due to the fact that the manhunt for the Boston bomber was still going on and all businesses had to close. So the theatres had to ah. close at that time. So Boston okay. was the only place that got it later than everywhere else by a couple of weeks. So that's the kind of time frame you are looking at of when Oblivion was released. Yeah. Uh, it went on to make $286 million on a $120 million budget. So, Do you remember when that was a good return? Yes. And then like the Avengers came along and everyone thinks if a movie doesn't make a trillion dollars, then it's a failure. Yeah. Ah, uh, the good old days. Yeah. When they used to release stuff like Fair Game. Yes, um, 
it wasn't originally Olga Kurienko who started in this movie in that role. It was Jessica Chastain. But Jessica Chastain had an opportunity come up to star in a lead role for Zero Dark Thirty, which she really, really wanted to do. Uh, she spoke mm -hmm. with Tom Cruise and the producers and the director, and apparently they were very understanding of it and granted her a release to go and make that movie. Okay, well, I, I suppose it works out quite well because uh, I know that Olga Kurienko was doing really well around about this time because she'd yeah. been the first Hitman movie. I think she'd been in a Bond film. Max Payne. Uh, Max Payne. So, yeah, she was, her stock was pretty high for a while, and um, I'm not really sure what's happened to her over the last well, she's in Marvel 10 now. years or so. so is she? Yeah, she plays uh, the Grim Reaper um, in the villain in Black Widow, and she's returning for the Thunderbolts as well. Uh, the score of this movie is really good by Joseph Trapanese. Uh, it's worth checking out. And in a little bit of trivia, this also holds a very good statistic. Steve? This was the first ever film to be mixed completely in Dolby Atmos. Good. Yeah, Bill would know all about that. <laughs> you know, but yes, this was the first movie to have that on. I know, I just don't want to spoil the Atmos. You know? oh, oh. But yes, uh, Oblivion. Ten years old this week. Happy birthday, Oblivion. Yes, happy birthday. Uh, so what is going to be our third movie this week? We'll get a third movie. Uh, instead of going in the direct tens backwards, I'm going to take a little bit of a detour out uh, to go 12 years. And Interesting. I wanted to mention this because I saw it again this week and then realised it was released right on this week, 12 years ago. Have you seen, Steve, a movie called Grave Encounters? No. Okay. Grave Encounters... Uh, was one of your kind of uh, found footage horror movies. Uh, okay. And this one was, it, it is a pure riff on the, you know, the ghost hunting shows that you see, you know, throughout the States now that have kind of all latched onto the most haunted craze. Yeah, ghost ghost adventures with with Zach Baggins. And we're back to, we're back to Lord of the Rings references again, aren't we? Zach Baggins. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, yeah, Grave Encounters is actually one of the best versions of it that you will ever see. Uh, mm -hmm. This was directed by four people. Colin Minahan, who was the director on a movie called Extraterrestrial and another one called What Keeps You Alive. It was also directed by Stuart Ortiz, who was the writer of Extraterrestrial and other movies with Colin Minahan. And The Vicious Brothers. Jonas will be there like, The Vicious Brothers! Yes, who also worked on the same. So they basically worked on all the same films, but this movie was directed by all four of them. So I think this was probably their first major movie that came out of there. They filmed this movie in 10 nights and two days. All right. Um, I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be like a Blair Witch, less broadcast kind of yes, yeah. vibe to it. Yeah, it, it is all on that. And, and these films are kind of simpler to make, but this one has had a lot of effort put in. And this was filmed at the Riverview Hospital, which has been featured in so many movies and the X-Files, uh, Session 9, loads of stuff up in Canada. For the record, the last broadcast is better than the Blair Witch Project. It's a good point. Carry on. But I do, I do love me some Blair Witch. Um, this movie actually debuted at Tribeca, mm. which is something, as I mentioned from Jen McGowan's episode that you just recently saw where we talked about Tribeca. This movie mm -hmm. debuted there, and the teaser trailer for it scored 30 million views. Wow. For a movie that is not a major blockbuster, a small independent movie shot over 10 nights and two days scored 30 million views on its trailer how okay well well you brought this up on the last few episodes so here's the question 30 million views on the trailer what was their return against their initial budget well it, i'd reckon it was definitely high this has since become a cult film it was a box office success i can't find the exact figure or oh, probably i just okay. didn't look into it that much um but it did go on to spawn a sequel. It was supposed to be a third as well, but apparently I think 
the sequel didn't do as well as, as expected, so they didn't make the third one, but they still hope that they would make a third one. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of Grave Encounters. I thought it was great. I almost met the producer of it as well at one point. We were supposed to get together for a coffee, and I was leaving that afternoon, so I couldn't do it. Right. Um, the script was only 85 pages long, right? Most of the movie is improvised. Yeah, I was going to say, because most scripts, like a 90-minute script, you're looking at about 120 pages, aren't you? Yeah. So, Thereabouts. Uh, roughly. There, a lot of people say, oh, the one page, one minute. It's not. You know, it, it, no, it's not. No, because getting back to Lord of the Rings for a second, um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the whole scene of the, the bridge of Khazadum, sorry, the stairs of Khazadum, when they're coming down the stairs and there's a whole sequence where they're firing the arrows of the goblins um, and the staircase breaks. In the script, it just says they run down the stairs and yet the scene itself takes up several minutes worth of screen time. So, yeah, I agree with you. The whole one page equals one minute rule is absolute garbage. Garbage. It's just a way for people who are generally too lazy to actually read a full script will be like, yeah, can I read this in... An hour and a half. But um, yeah, uh, Grave Encounters is 12 years old this week. It's definitely worth a watch if you can find it. I think it was on Amazon Prime just recently. Mm. And, you know, it was a great kind of early movie, probably a debut for Minahan Ortiz and the Vicious Brothers, who have gone on to do some really, really great movies. I've got to be honest, it's the first time that I've heard of that one. And it does sound like it's right in my wheelhouse. That sounds like it's something that's that I would really, really enjoy because I like I like that kind of stuff. I I I'm, I can like found footage. Well, Grave Encounters is among the best ones. I may place it above the last broadcast. Oh, really? Okay. Personally, I would because th- there is moments in that that genuinely made me shit my pants. Okay. It was full-on Gino Bolognese. (laughs) No, that was coming out the other end. Yeah. Well, that's an esteemed actor for you, showing up in a bottom movie. That's just brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyway. Oh, dear. 12 years old this week. Grave Encounters. Check it out if you can find it. Um, you can find it everywhere. You can find everything nowadays. And uh, why don't you just add to that trailer view as well? Yes. Uh, But for now, though, it's a very specific question that needs answering. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box is the question we ask every single week in order to educate Steve's movie knowledge and experience. But Steve, explain the rules of what's in the box. Okay, well, the rules of what's in the box are very, very simple. Andy is going to pick out the name of a film from a box which is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, if I have seen it, Then he keeps pulling out names of movies until we find one that I haven't seen. And then I go away and watch it the day before we record our next episode. It's simple. So simple that I've lost count of the number of times that I've messed up that speech. It should be just second nature by now. Okay. But festivities do not start without the music. Thank you, Bruce. Okay, Steve. Yes. Are you ready for the first choice? No, but hit me with it anyway. Okay. Nineteen ninety-five. Okay. Apollo thirteen. Oh, it's cracking film. Yes. Oh, yes, okay. I've seen that one. I've I've seen that one numerous times. Wonderful. Okay. Are you ready for number two? <laughs> Such a childish show. It really is. Uh, okay. Oh. 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 Hmm. Okay. Uh, 
I'm not sure I like those noises. What have you got? Steve, have you seen Caddyshack? Yes. Okay. I'm alright. Are you? Right. Okay. It's debatable. Going on for number three. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Oh, okay. All right. I believe you haven't seen this. Unless you have watched it since. Okay. So, a fair few episodes back, you watched Rocky. Right? Okay. Now, you have to visit 2006's Rocky Balboa. Oh, right. Okay. Now, th- now I'm I'm actually going to be stating my case on this one. No, sake. no, I haven't seen Rocky Balboa. So if I go away and watch that now, then it will be keeping with the rules of what's in the box. However, I also haven't seen Rocky 2, 3, 4, any of the others in between. So by going to Rocky Balboa, is that then going to taint the movies that I then may watch in between then or not? That... Now, you see, that's going to be a hard one. That's what she said. None of the others are in the box. So, th- this is a kind of crucial decider. We've never come across this kind of situation before. We haven't, because you can see my point, can't you? Yes, put it away. Uh, so, uh, oh, that's a tough one. I mean, do you want to actually watch all the other Rockies? Well, I do want to watch this one because of everything that I've heard has said that Rocky Balboa is... A massive improvement. It's probably one of the best in the series since the original, or yeah, at least the original yeah. two. But I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the stuff that happens in between that is kind of moves the kind of story of Rocky along. I guess. God, this is a tough one. Okay, okay. I tell you what. What I'm going to do because this is uh, this is a definite. This is a definite thing which needs to be decided right here and right now. Otherwise, this episode is going to go on for ages. So I've got my phone here. Yeah. Right? I am going to ask Siri to give me a number. If it is an odd number, then I don't watch it. If it's an even number, then I will. Okay. Okay. So here we go. And I'm I'm going to... Let me just turn the the thing on so we can all hear it. Get it closer. I've got another one held up anyway. Hey, Siri. Give me a random number between 1 and 10. It's 10. So that means... It's an even number. That means that I have to wait until I've seen the other ones before we do this one. Okay. Ooh, this has never happened before. Let's get... Okay. Next one. Now now fucking with the box. (laughs) I am fucking with the box. Okay. Well, just... Before midnight. I had an extra one. You Sorry, got... if that's if that's before midnight, <laughs> you're gonna be like shit. Okay, next. Oh, okay. No, I don't think you've seen this one. Uh... Okay. Why do I have a feeling this is 2007? I've got oh, to look this Jesus up. Jesus Christ! I'm gonna minute. I'm gonna minute. This this is gonna be genius. I've got to check on this. If this is, then you've seriously asked for this. <laughs> Back to 2007 again, please no. It's your prison. Oh my god, it's 2007. It oh Brilliant. my god. Okay, you're going to be watching Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Charlie Wilson's War. No, I have not seen that one. It is not part of a series. I will be watching Charlie Wilson's War. Perfect. Back to 2007. What is going on? Fucking hell. We're it's, in some circle of hell. It's the center of the movie universe. It is. Everything all links back to 2007 in some way. Something must have happened in that year. They're trying to tell us something. So yeah. Let's get our mashed potato like cloud out. Or hill, yeah. whatever it is. But yes, uh, Charlie Wilson's War. Uh, that will be coming next week. And also coming... Next week, it is a guest episode. Ooh. Who's the guest that we have, Andrew? Uh, we have an amazing actress, producer, television host as well. 
Sarah Hennessy is going to be joining us and it's going to be what she's absolutely wonderful uh, she's someone that i've wanted to have on the show for a while i think she's got an amazing story to tell and uh you're just gonna be completely won over by her okay i cannot wait this is going to be a great episode so do not miss it in the meantime if you want to talk to us about anything that we've discussed in this episode including our really really childish sense of humor and also the name gino, gino bolognese uh then <laughs> then while andy's laughing you can go to the links below uh you can join us on facebook.com forward slash pottywood you can hit us up on twitter at pottywood you can join us on the r slash pottywood subreddit you can hit us up on linkedin and you can also get us on patreon tell us what they get on patreon andy well if you uh sign up for patreon for the price of a coffee oh. three pound £3. For £3, you can actually get the audio versions of these episodes prior to the video version coming out. So if you're in the gym, maybe you're in the car, maybe you just want to fall asleep at night by listening to our melodious tones, you can do it before this video episode gets released. And plus, you can also listen to previously unheard of and unreleased episodes, including the Poddywood After Dark specials. Yes. I'd love to see After Dark return. We should do just a one-off episode of Bodywood After Dark in the main show. Yeah, we should. We do like a like an After Dark once a month. Yeah, you know, not every week, just like once a month. Just, just like put it out there for the Patreon people. Luxurious jazz bar setting with Howard, Bernard, Mike, Ben, Tom, the bartender, actually, whoever it is that week. I actually listened to the older episodes of After Dark, and it's amazing that every single week we were in there, you could not remember the barman's name, and it was different every time. Everyone thought, people thought, oh, it's a running joker. It's not a running joker. Generally couldn't remember what I'd said the week before. Tom, Mark, Howard. But it, it just <laughs> None of them were even in the same wheelhouse. No. Then you can listen to... Uh. The uh, sensational Susie on saxophone. Yes. And all the rest of it. If you're wondering what the hell we're talking about, just head over to patreon.com forward slash poddywood. You'll be able to find it out. Uh, But for right now, uh, it is a goodbye from me. And it is a goodbye from me. And do not forget to like and subscribe. Hit the button down there. Because YouTube, it's a pain in the bum. you got to do it. So we'll see you next time here on Poddywood. Bye.